0: Hello and welcome. My name is Brian Wallace. I'm your host here at Physician Assistant Exam Review Podcast, and this week we're going to be talking about childhood exanthems and several other viruses. Stick around. So this is where we get together every two weeks to talk about more and more information regarding your pants or your pan, ready to get you ready for your exam. We cover all We follow right along with the NCCPA Blueprint, covering all the material you need to know, plus covering some more information on how to study, how to get ready, how to prepare, and the proper mindset for passing this exam. Uh, I believe, and I'm pretty confident at this point, that a lot of what we do on this exam has to do with mindset, has to do with how you prepare, has to do with how you study. I think that stuff is so important, and we've been focusing a little bit more on it as time's gone by. Uh, this week we're gonna, is going to be no different. If you stick around to the end, I'll have some great stuff for you on how to get ready for your exam, as well as covering a couple of review questions at the end. Uh, so stick around for those. In the meantime, we're going to start off talking about some childhood exanthems uh, and a little bit about uh, what that even means. Okay, so this is something that always bothers me, or continues to bother me. Uh, and it's the idea of the childhood exanthems, or exanthem, which really just means widespread rash. Exanthem means widespread rash. And there were originally the, there were six of them that were named. Uh, four of them are viral. Two of them are bacterial. And well, I'll explain to you as I go why why these irritate me. So anyway, the first one, the first of the exanthems was rubella. The second is scarlet fever. The third disease in the list is rubella. The fourth disease in the list is sort of controversial, but you could say it's exfoliative staph infections, although some people don't think it actually exists uh, and usually gets left off the list. The fifth disease on the list is erythema infectiosum, and the sixth disease is roseola. So these are basically childhood rashes that people put on a list and then named. So you'll see as we go through them, uh, we'll get to it down the way just a little bit, but urethema infectiosum, that's why it's called fifth disease and why you hear people refer to it as that. It comes from this old nomenclature, these six childhood exanthems. That's just where it fell on the list. We're going to start off our list with rubiola or measles. Uh, to me, I, I just struggle. I can never keep these two straight. Uh, rubiola is the measles, uh, and like I said, I, I've always just had a really hard time holding on to some of these, the, the, this name in particular. Things you should know, it is highly contagious, People who have the measles are extremely ill, and it's transmitted through respiratory droplets. reasons patients present, fever greater than 104. They get a significant fever. Cough, runny nose, uh, rhinitis. There's another term here, cariza, which we're gonna use today, which really just means cold symptoms. Symptoms of a cold, like a runny nose, uh, that sort of thing. Red eyes, and then they get this f- red, flat, maculopapular pruritic rash, which begins on the face and then spreads south. Uh, again, it does; it is itchy. It's a pretty severe, bright red rash. Lab studies and physical exam findings. The physical exam finding here is, is the pathognomonic finding is coplex spots, Koplik's spots. Uh, these are seen about two to three days after the onset, and they only last a couple of days. Uh, onset of symptoms, rather. So they only last a couple of days, so they're easy to miss. And these are small white spots inside the mouth. If you see them, they are, like I said, pathognomonic for uh for the measles again i'm stumbling over this for rubella or the measles that's complex spots but uh, they're often missed because there's a small window where you can see them and then there are tests for serum igm and salivary iga uh although not used as frequently treatments prevention is the key here obviously vaccinations are a big topic now uh vaccinations are do not, I'm not going to go on a big soapbox here Most of you, I would be preaching to the choir anyway, so vaccinations are our number one method to prevent the measles. Supportive care is really the next step, and next is to monitor for complications like bronchitis, pneumonia, and it can go on to all sorts of other nasty things. Uh, I think encephalitis and a few others, but really for our our interest, bronchitis and pneumonia is probably far enough. The nice thing about covering these viruses this week is there's not gonna be a whole lot to know as far as treatment goes. It's really just supportive care for pretty much everything. The next one is urethium, the urethema infectiosum. This is a, uh, a parvovirus B19. That's probably something you that might be helpful. It's known as fifth disease, again, from that list. And you'll hear uh, mothers, I, my, I, have, I have two little kids, and my wife calls it fifth disease. And it, it's just something to realize. This is urethema infectiosum. It probably just gets called this because it's too hard to say. So we say uh, fifth disease. It's also known as slap cheek syndrome because the rash starts on the face and it makes these bright red cheeks so it looks like you uh, hit your kid across the face or slapped face or slapped cheek. It's transmitted through respiratory secretions. And the rash once the rash appears, then the child is no longer contagious. So what that means is they have symptoms for a couple of days and then they like a runny nose and things and then they break out into this rash. And at that point, they're pretty much almost done. The virus is, is, is being shut down, they're no longer shedding and you're just a, you're no longer contagious. So initially, they present with a fever, headache, runny nose, and then they get this, once those symptoms are sort of fading, they get this bright red rash, which appears mostly on the cheeks. It's a, and then a red lacy rash on the upper arms, legs, and trunk. And again, once this rash breaks out, you're done. So when parent, you know, my wife and her friends would freak out and say, oh my gosh, the kid's got a rash. He can't be around other kids. The answer is by the time he has the rash, you're sort of seeing the end of this one. It's really not a big deal. And it, to, to be fair, this is not really a big deal to begin with. It, they just sort of get a runny nose and a rash and then they're done. So, uh, erythema infectiosum, and it, it freaks everybody out. At least I feel like in the in the parent circles, because it has a name. It's called fifth disease. It's called slap cheek. So we can we can pin a name to it. So it must be scary. And the reality is, it's it's sort of a it's a cold with a rash. Um, treatment here is just supportive treatment. Rubella is next. or German measles, rubella. Things you should know here: uh, it is the rubella virus. So that's pretty easy. It's one of the torches, if you remember from PA school, or if you're in PA school which are the vertically transmitted, the things mom can give the fetus, uh, I think it's directly through the placenta. Um, This one in particular has a 90% chance of being passed along, and the kid winding up with what's called congenital rubella syndrome, which can be pretty nasty. Uh, All sorts of problems associated with that, from uh, eye issues, to cardiac issues, to brain damage, uh, to low birth weights, to even field demise. So something we really need to be uh, cautious of. And this is also transmitted through large droplets. So this happens when the mom gets infected during her pregnancy, especially the end of her pregnancy. And that would be for her first time, because once you've seen this disease, your immune system fights it off pretty well. The vaccination really works very, very well uh, because of that. So symptoms, there are typically no symptoms. Patients most often really just don't even know that they've had it. Uh, They can get a rash, which begins on the face, and then it's not quite as pronounced as the measles. It's not quite as uh, bright as the measles. But there is a rash that starts on the face and moves down. Fever is pretty light, about hundred degrees. Sore throat, fatigue, swollen glands, and then if adults get this, they get some joint pain along with it. Treatment, prevention is the number one thing. Once again, so we vaccinate them. Uh, that's the best thing we can do. And th- the issue here and the thing, the caveat I would give you is that the vaccination is a live vaccine. So if we have a woman and women get tested during pregnancy uh, for antibodies against rubella, rubella. I'm. Sorry, I see. I'm mixing them up already. Um. For rubella, they look for antibodies to see if they, they uh, have ever had it, because if they've had it, then they're fine. But if they haven't, there's some, some concerns, uh, again, about that transmission to the fetus. So, But the problem is once the person is pregnant, you can't give them the vaccination, which is where, this, where we started a, few, a minute ago. You can't give a pregnant woman the vaccination because it's a, it's a live vaccination. The, the virus is live. So you can't give it to a pregnant woman, so you have to do it before a woman becomes pregnant. So if you have someone you're doing prenatal care on, and they know ahead of time that they have not been exposed to this if you do this test, then you could give them the vaccine, but you can't give it to them once they're uh, pregnant. Interestingly enough, rubella was declared eliminated by the CDC in the U.S. in 2004. Uh, So I guess that means we have had zero cases of it from 2004 until now. Uh, That's pretty amazing and unbelievable success for vaccinations. And then, as far as treatment goes, really again, supportive care, and then congenital disease will require much more significant management. Um, but again, we're not going to get into that here. Roseola is our sixth disease, <clears throat> usually not really referred to it because you can say roseola; <laughs> it's a lot easier than uh, what was it, erythema infectiosum. Things you should know: patients are usually six months to two years old, so they're little guys. Uh, this is uh, herpes, human herpes virus six and human herpes virus seven. Patients present with sudden high fevers, so 104 here. Again, we're looking at really high measles, and roseola have really high fevers. This one comes on a little bit more sudden, though, and the rash occurs several days after the fever is going away, or I'm sorry, several days later as the fever is going away. Um, the, the rash here does not begin on the face, but begins on the trunk, so that might be a way you can di- differentiate uh, measles from roseola, which is the, the rash in measles started on the face. So this starts in the trunk and spreads to the legs and neck. It's not itchy like the other uh, other rashes we talked about were, and it lasts about two uh, like about two days. In this case, the child doesn't really appear very sick, which is again a contrast to measles. They do have that high temperature, but they don't. With measles, they seem really sick. People do not look good. Um, they, they just look terrible. With roseola, they really don't look too bad. They have this high fever. They have this rash, um, but it's not quite as big a deal. A treatment here, again, is supportive care. Not a whole lot to do. We make sure you get enough fluids, that sort of thing, um, you know, Tylenol, et cetera, but just supportive care. Again, treatments for this section are really, really nice. Herpes simplex virus. Oh, so that ends our childhood exanthems. So you can see everyone, I don't know, I, I think everybody freaks out about childhood exanthems. Um, they're really not a big deal. They're mostly, as, as far as learning them goes, you know, the measles can be a big deal if you get it. Um, but as far as learning them goes, they're sort of like a cold with a rash, Maybe know the difference between them, how to differentiate amongst them. That erythema infectiosum is a parvovirus B19, where the others are herpes viruses, uh, that sort of thing. Where the rashes begin. Know uh, what complex spots are. You know, but really, there's not a whole lot here. There's not a ton to to be concerned about, to be freaked out about. It's really pretty straightforward. As much as it, as much as it's just another list of things we're supposed to memorize, uh, and that can get overwhelming. The the individual things we need to memorize are not particularly complicated. Next, we have the herpes simplex virus. Things you should know here, uh, the infections that we're talking about here are HSV type 1, which is usually referred to as oral herpes, and HSV type 2, which is genital herpes. Again, there's a lot of crossover here as to where it actually turns out um, depending on people's activities. However, that's pretty much the way that they're they're listed. Transmitted through direct contact, it may occur without any visual signs of disease. So if you are not actually showing the blisters of herpes infection you can still transmit it to your partner uh, this virus becomes latent within the neurons and is never fully cleared why patients present they come in with fluid filled blisters usually around the mouth or uh, depending on sexual partners in other places tingling and itching and burning may occur before the blisters appear they can get flu-like symptoms so fever muscle aches swollen glands uh, in general herpes they can get painful or difficult urination in herpes keratitis or herpes in the eye they can get uh some really severe conjunctivitis and again on on physical exam that's what you're going to find are these blisters around the mouth or genitals in most cases you can get a viral culture from these blisters you can also do an igg antibody test the other thing is the other key term here is going to be a fluorescein stain in the cornea may show dendritic lesions for herpes keratitis dendritic lesions uh, look those up. They look pretty cool, but that's definitely something that jumps to my head when I think about herpes simplex, uh, herpes keratitis. Anyway, so we were talking about how the virus has never actually cleared by the immune system. So it, it lives in the neurons. It gets into the nerve cells and hangs out there. So the immune system bites it back, beats it down so that it looks like it's gone. You don't see the symptoms. You don't see these blisters. Uh, they go away. But then as time goes by, uh, they're not actually gone. They just sort of hang out there. And when something comes up that takes your immune system down a little bit, they creep back out. That's why they're known as cold sores, because when you get a cold, your immune system's off fighting something else. Uh, The herpes virus sort of sneaks back out, and you start getting these blisters on your lips again. Uh, And that's where that comes from. Things like stress have been known to bring them out, uh, that sort of thing. But that's where that terminology comes from, is because it's a latent virus that hides in those nerve cells and doesn't actually get fully cleared, kind of like the chickenpox virus and shingles, you know, it's just hanging out there. It's not actually gone. Uh, It's still in your system, but your immune system does a pretty good job of keeping it under wraps, but it can't completely clear it. Treatment for uh, herpes is going to be, number one, again, is always prevention. So a barrier to protect for sex. So condoms work really good here. Antivirals can be used topical or orally. Acyclovir, valcyclovir, famcyclovir are just a couple of options. Our last one today is going to be cytomegalovirus. We're almost done. Then we'll get to some questions and some study tips. Uh, Cytomegalovirus, CMV. Things you should know here, it's transmitted by direct contact, so uh, sexual contact usually or during the birthing process. The virus here may shed without any symptoms. So if the patient is completely symptom-free, feeling good, the virus may still be shedding. It's found in the urine, saliva, blood, tears, semen, and breast milk. This is also one of the torch infections that we talked about earlier, along with toxoplasmosis, rubella, CMV, and herpes. This may remain latent in the body for long periods of time. This is a human herpes virus type five, so we can all, you know, we understand that herpes can remain latent, so also can CMV. It's a, it is, in fact, a herpes-type virus. Viral infection, that can be very serious in the immunocompromised is usually where we've been seeing more and more of this. Why patients present? Most commonly, there aren't any symptoms. Uh, most people do okay with this, But again, in the immunocompromised population, we have more severe symptoms, including fever, loss of appetite, sore throat, enlarged lymph nodes, muscle aches, fatigue, diarrhea, ulcers in the digestive tract, hepatitis, encephalitis, and behavioral changes. In neonates, you can get jaundice, purple skin, blotches, or rash, uh, low birth weight, seizures, enlarged spleen, and poorly functioning liver, uh, and pneumonia are just a few things on that list. This is diagnosed, uh, can be diagnosed with a culture, but it's extremely difficult. A tissue biopsy with an H&E stain, we'll show owl inclusion bodies. Uh, this is really uh, a really nice key term if you happen to come across it because the only other place you'll see owl eyes uh, on an exam is the Reed-Sternberg cells from Hodgkin's lymphoma, if you recall that. Uh, but those are referring to the entire nucleus, not just the inclusion body, so it's a little bit different. So again, if you see owl eye inclusion bodies, you're definitely thinking about CMV. Uh, Even if you see owl eyes in general, you're thinking CMV or Hodgkin's lymphoma, those are your two options. PCR may be used on the body fluids to look for this virus, and antibody serology is also a possibility. Treatment, again, once again, we have no real treatment for everybody. (laughs) We really don't do a whole lot. Um, You can give antivirals if you have somebody who is immune compromised and having a severe disease. Uh, Gancyclovir, valgancyclovir, foscarnate, and psitofavir are a few that came up on the search specifically for cmv um and then there's is also a cmv immunoglobulin okay so that wraps up the actual content material for this week um again we just covered the the childhood exanthems and then cmv and herpes just to round things out all we have left for infectious disease is i think it'll be one more show on the herpes virus so i'm not sorry not on the herpes virus it'll be one more show on infectious disease so um no big deal there we'll finish up viruses and that'll wrap that up so before we get to our questions let's talk about our study tip for today which i'm going to start rebranding this re- retitling this section as better scores without more studying things we can do to improve our scores without studying more so this week what i want to talk about is get some rest your brain needs rest as much as any other organ any other part of your body to function at its best uh with, without significant rest you really have trouble retaining information you have trouble drawing conclusions you have trouble adapting and it's just incredibly important, whether you're in school, whether you're getting ready for your exam. I tend to think about things as if people are getting ready for their pan read just because that's what I just did. But even if you're in school, you really need to make sure you get enough sleep and you need to make sure you get enough rest before an exam. This is something I always thought was really, really important to me during PA school and then as I prepared for these other exams, these bigger exams. Uh, and, and the reason I'm bringing it up now is because a student brought this up to me a few days ago it said, hey, this is something you haven't talked about in a while, maybe bring it up again. And I just... It's it's so important that a well-functioning brain is so much more valuable than any studying you can do in the day or minutes before your exam. Clear your head. Get in the right frame of mind. It really takes a lot to make that time. It's so valuable, the time you spend before an exam, either the minutes or hours before or the day before, depending on the size of the exam. You know, obviously, if it's if you have a test every couple of days, you can't take the day before off. But I strongly recommend taking the day before off your pants or your panre Take it completely off. Don't study. Don't go to work. Don't do anything. What you should be doing is playing basketball or soccer, or hanging out with some friends or your kids, going for a hike, playing outside, some tennis, maybe any, anything outside and active. Uh, this gets your mind off the exam, gets your brain relaxed, and gets you in a better frame of mind, clears out some of the cobwebs, some of the stress, and puts you in a much better position to use the knowledge that you've jammed into your brain. You know the analogy I like to use here is if you're training for a marathon, you don't run ten miles a day before your marathon. In fact, you probably don't run at all. You know you want to take that day off. You want to be ready. You want to be prepared. Anything you do that day before isn't going to really change your scores. Resting is going to make a huge difference in your scores. And again, I say the same thing before my my test in PA school. I, you know, my friends would think I was nuts, but I would just sit and listen to music for twenty minutes before an exam while everyone else was trying to cram in a couple more little pieces of information. I had a couple of songs, uh, in particular, that I would play before every single exam, and it would just clear out my brain and make me ready to think and ready to build those connections and ready to see connections uh, on 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 tests. I just I think it makes such a huge difference, and it, honestly, it's easier than, it's easier than studying more. Anyway, speaking of questions, let's jump into some test questions or not test questions, but some key terms and ideas and some shorter type questions. I think I have one long one this week. Any question referring to owl eye inclusion body should make you think of what disease? Any question referring to owl eye inclusion body should make you think of what disease? CMV. And remember, the other one was Reed Sternberg uh, from Hodgkin's Lymphoma, but for our case today, it's CMV. Fifth, um, Not fifth disease. Let's talk about a child presents with four days of fever and two small white spots in his mouth. What, they may, what, what might they be? Child presents with four days of fever and two small white spots in his mouth. Coplex spots for the measles. Where does the rubella rash begin? Where does the rubella rash begin? On the face. On the face. A mother brings in a three-year-old boy who has had a fever and a runny nose. He is feeling better, but she notices this red lacy rash on his face and upper torso. Can he go to daycare tomorrow? A mother brings in a three-year-old boy who has had a fever and a runny nose, but he's feeling a whole lot better until she noticed this lacy rash on his face and upper torso. Can he go to daycare? And the answer is yes, this is likely fifth disease and he's no longer contagious, so it's not a problem as long as they don't freak out there. Why can't you give a pregnant woman the rubella vaccine? Because it's a live virus. The child presents with very little symptoms other than low-grade fever and a light red rash, which started on his chest and now has moved to his legs. What's the most likely childhood exanthem? Low-grade fever, light red rash started on his chest. Here we're looking at roseola, uh, which with the measles, they'd be much, much sicker is the other thing here. Okay, so that brings us to the end of the questions. I do have one thing, a new thing I'm, I'm testing out or giving a try. Um, I I know there's an issue with listening to the podcast and what I, and then getting a hold of some of the content that I put out. So for example, when people come over to the website and they sign up for the email list, what I currently give them is, the it's, I think it's like 150 questions from the cardiology section of the book, The Final Step. They also get the 54 study tips I put together a long time ago, uh, my top 54 study tips, and they get that automatically. And then they get a, you get a whole bunch of stuff as far as uh, study tips and preparation and best practices as far as studying goes. And I ask people to head over to the website and check that out and sign up, but I also know... That when I listen to shows and I listen to podcasts, I have a whole lot of trouble remembering to go back to the website and click on the right things and and put in my email address, even if it's things that I want to get and people I want to listen to and people I really want to get their content from. It's just a lot of steps. So one of the companies I work with put together this thing where you can actually text in to submit your email and then I can send you all of this stuff uh, right to you. And it's really simple. It really isn't a big deal. And I tested it out, and I was pretty amazed at how unintrusive it was through your texting. I don't wind up getting your phone number. I don't get any other information. It just winds up dumping in your email address so that I can then send you back all of this stuff. And like I said, I I was really impressed with how easy the system was, how unobtrusive it was. So what you can do if you want to get a hold of the 150 test questions, or not test questions, the 150 cardiology questions from the final step and the 54 study tips is text to the number 33444. The word test prep, all one word, T E S T P R E P. So it's, uh, you're gonna text three three four four four. That's the phone number to, and, and what you're gonna send there is test prep, T E S T P R E P. And then it's gonna run you through just a little bit, saying, hey, just uh, what's your email address, and then we'll send you all the stuff. And you just type in your email address, and then and then again, you get all that information. You get the 150 test questions. You are, uh, you get the 150 questions. You get the 54 study tips, and you get, uh, an ongoing information on study tips and the best practices there and that kind of stuff but like i said i thought this was great for people who are listening to the podcast and keep saying oh man i should really go check that out oh i need to go back to the website and check that out uh so i signed up for this and i'm gonna run a little bit of a test and see how well it works how many people are interested and see if it's worth continuing but again that number is 33444 and you text test prep to that number and then just follow the little prompts again it's super easy very unintrusive uh I I was pretty pleased with it. So um, I'm testing it out this week and for a couple of weeks. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, that'll pretty much wrap up this week's show. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Again, next week, we'll finish up infectious disease. And then I don't know where we're heading from there. I'll do some time. I spend a little bit of time this week thinking about it. Uh, But so anyway, we'll check that out next week. And what else do I want to talk about? Mm, I think that'll do it. So take care. Anybody taking their exam in the next two weeks, good luck. And the rest of you, I will see in two weeks. Take care. Good luck.